turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Hi, I'm Jerry Boyer. Welcome to Meeting of Minds podcast. Uh, my guest today is Dr. Arthur Agatston, um, who I uh, believe and many people believe um, is the most prominent and leading and most insightful preventative cardiologist in the world today. Um, he's also quite famous for a diet book, and we'll kind of get back to that in a moment, uh, but um, the diet book was sort of a byproduct of, of preventative cardiology. His most recent book, Sorry that I don't have a hard copy. I'm a Kindle guy. South Beach Diet, the new keto-friendly South Beach Diet. Um, and he obviously is very well known for a South Beach Diet. He's the head of the Agustin Center, which is there in South Beach. And uh, he's joining us today. Dr. Agustin, thank you for joining us. Great to be with you, Jerry. When we were in your office, by the way, I should say you're my cardiologist. Um, because I, um, I got a high calcium score, which was a great concern. So I would not settle for anyone other than the best, which is the, the man who invented the calcium score. Um, and, um, we, we talk in your office when I see you. And that was quite recent, recent. And you mentioned a few topics that are just so fascinating. Let's start with, um, the first one you mentioned to me, which is, would you call the three kinds of hunger? What are they? Yes. Um, well, the one that's most important is hypoglycemia, which we've all heard of. We've heard of the reactive hypoglycemia, which in the literature is really poorly defined. But we really understand now where the hypoglycemia comes from. And it's that most of the country, most Americans and probably the Western world are not metabolically normal. We're working, we're walking around with high insulin levels. The re reason we have high insulin levels is our, our standard American diet called the SAD diet. Hmm. Uh, too much bad carbs, uh, uh, sugar in particular, both in glucose and, and fructose, um, which increases our insulin level. And the insulin level turns the sugar into fat in our liver and our pancreas. And it depresses our ability to make insulin. And it hurts the cells in our pancreas called the beta cells that actually make insulin. So it means um, when we have a meal, normally our insulin levels would go up to bring the sugar from our meal and other nutrients into our tissues and bloodstream. But the beta cells get tired, they get sick, and it takes a while for the insulin to go up. And when it goes up, it stays up. Mm. And insulin is our energy storage hormone. And when it stays up, it blocks us from accessing our own fat and our own uh, starch stores in the form of glycogen, our own energy stores. So we have to look outside to get the nourishment. <laughs> One of the best illustrative examples is the bears before hibernation. So a grizzly bear out in Colorado. At the beginning of the winter, their insulin normally goes up. For humans, it goes up. One of the times is, is at the beginning of pregnancy. That's why women, when they're having babies, get a glucose tolerance test to see if they have gestational diabetes when mm. they go to their, their OB. And that's because their, their insulin levels go up to help store fat for mother and child. And that's obviously very, very important. But coming back to the grizzly bear at the beginning of fall, the insulin goes up so they begin to get in the fat storage mode. And they, that's the same time the berries are getting ripe in the forest. And for the next month, they literally 
deplete the forest of berries. Mm. They're hungry all the time. And for people who have vacationed out homes <laughs> out west or other bear country, they know that they have to lock the garbage away carefully because the bears will get into it. They get into the bird feeders. Um, they're climbing trees to get to the highest berries eventually. And they're putting on between 600 and 800 pounds throughout the fall. But once they've gained 400, 500 pounds, they're still hungry all the time. And that's because their insulin levels are high because of this uh, pancreatic beta cell dysfunction. So then it's not making insulin so efficiently and the insulin is staying up all the time. So they're hungry all the time. Now, this so, is how- So the, the bears are supposed to have beta cells kind of shut, yes. right? I mean, it's, yes. it's a dysfunction in the sense of it has a purpose getting ready to hibernate, right? Yes. But then they, well, go ahead. You, then they hibernate. And then what happens? Well, the, so at the end, by the end of, a, you know, at the beginning of, of winter, the end of fall, um, no more berries. And they're, that's when they're programmed to start the hibernation. And they're not eating during the hibernation. The insulin levels fall. And now their enzymes are what's called upregulated. They get access to all that fat they've been storing throughout the fall. And that's how they live um, through the months of, of hibernation without eating. Now, for humans, it's similar. Our ancestors... Uh, you know, living in tribes, when there was feast, um, they ate more, became insulin resistant, this beta cell dysfunction. And so they were also hungry all the time. So they stored fat in their bellies, and that helped them survive the inevitable famine, or helped them survive the winter. Hmm. And it's really in all mammals. And even overnight, uh, one of the interesting phenomenon we see is some people wake up in the middle of the night starving, have to go to the refrigerator and eat. Those are people with high insulin levels um, around the clock. And particularly if they snack at night, the insulin goes up. So in the middle of the night, your brain is working, your heart's working, your kidneys are working. You're still using sugar for energy. And so your sugar levels, your blood glucose falls you become hypoglycemic. Now, normally it's no problem. Your liver just goes to your energy stores and makes glucose. It's called gluconeogenesis. Your sugar stays up and you sleep through the night. But if your insulin levels are persistently high, like the bears, um, you can't access your own stores in the middle of the night. So you wake up shaky, starving, and you go to the refrigerator. Now, today, compared to years ago, there's something that you and I, a uh, term we didn't hear uh, when we were young, the grazing, mm. that people are eating throughout the day. And some people say, well, the food's available, it's habits, sitting watching TV. No, it's because so many Americans have persistently high insulin levels. And in fact, when I was first learning or came up with the South Beach diet in my late 40s, early 50s, <laughs> I was hospital-based. And towards the end of the day, uh, I would all of a sudden get hungry, shaky. Um, I'd make a run for the doctor's lounge and have a low-fat uh, blueberry muffin and a cup of coffee. Low-fat, so, high sugar. High, yes, high in sugar. Mm -hmm. So that brought up, so I was hypoglycemic. What I didn't know then, because we weren't testing insulin then, we didn't have the test, was that was because my insulin levels were high, so I couldn't access my own energy stores through my liver, and I had to run down. And that's why people are grazing, people who feel like they're hungry throughout the day. Now, the important thing about this, this is not a lack of discipline or a psychological thing. We had actually a physician recently who was waking up in the middle of the night, you know, had a big belly. Uh, he wasn't yet diabetic, but he had persistently high insulin levels. And he thought um, he, he thought he was anxious and depressed. Hmm. And that's why he would get up in the middle of the night. 
put him on the diet and we cured his anxiety and depression. He was no longer waking up to go down to the refrigerator. And that was a sort of a, a clear demonstration of this, of this physiology. And the thing about this hunger, again, if you're hypoglycemic and you're not making your own sugar, you will go through like the bears. You'll break into homes, go to the refrigerator, break right. into garages. Um, you, you have to get the outside. Well, the source. other analogy would be a pregnant woman. Right. And, yes. and there's all the old stories, the anecdotes about up in the middle of the night, I, I need ice cream, you know. Yes. Um, so, so kind of to, you know, the sum up to some degree so far, first kind of hunger we're talking about, hypoglycemia, low blood sugar. Um, so, and that tends to happen when people have persistently high insulin levels. Now, just stop for a moment. People think of insulin as a thing that diabetics inject into their body. Insulin is something your body produces when you can't produce enough of it. When you've burned out your ability, then essentially we've got giant pancreases, you know, yes. gi giant industrial pancreases, which churn out insulin, which is then shipped to this pharmacy and put into needles and then you can stick yourself with them. Yeah. So if you, you've outsourced your, your, your pancreas, um, cause it can't keep up with the yes. demands. If that's a, the, the insulin is a signal that says to your body, don't burn fat, store fat. So when you've used up that blood sugar, the first of yes. all, the blood sugar that's in the muscle or in the brain, the ATP, and then you've taken it out of the blood and maybe you've taken something out of the muscle. It forbids you to go get fat from the liver or, you know, God forbid down here, the, the, the belly. You're, you're not allowed to. It's chemically blocking that. Um, so Absolutely. you've got low blood sugar and you're panicky and you're, and you're, and you're ravenous. And then someone will guilt you about that because it's a lack of willpower when yes. it's, it's chemical. Yes. Right. Um, and very, the, the bear is an example. So, thank yes. you. So it's almost like the default setting of maybe a majority of Americans or even a majority of people who participate in modern industrial economies. Yes. Our default setting is bear preparing for a, um, a, a winter sleep, a hibernation, which never comes. So it's eternal. So it's it's just every year yeah. it's um summer into fall summer into fall you you store up you know uh, and you never go down or another or analogy is that we're, yeah, all, we're we all we all have the metabolism of yes. a pregnant woman who's trying to build a baby but we're not building babies we're building yeah, plaque we're, maybe we're building fall. cancer i'm sorry go ahead no no you know absolutely so um and and the thing is we're we're building up for the famine mm -hmm. you know or you know, or the long the long winter, or having the baby, um, but the the baby doesn't come, and and the the famine doesn't come anymore. We're, so we just get fatter and fatter. Hmm. I've heard and, some suggest. I'm throwing a little bit of curveball at you. I've heard some suggest that you know part of the modern economy is we have backlit screens and we have lights, so that there's a diurnal aspect of this. Like if it's summer especially late summer, the fruit is falling, it's ripe, there's abundant carbohydrates, and the, the you know, nature itself is telling you, fatten up. But yes. now we have TV on all the time, we have lights on till late at night, and essentially our light patterns are telling us it's eternal summer, so we're constantly preparing for a famine that never occurs. No, that's exactly right. And one of the interesting things we said we might talk about is just the march of technology through time and how that's affected us. And Edison and the electric light, um, that was, I guess, the 1890s around when they, in the Chicago World Fair, when he lit up the night. Mm -hmm. And so ever since then, and then the tablets, and it's very well documented, it's disturbed our sleep. When we don't sleep well, we increase this insulin resistance problem. And so, and, and poor sleep, sleep apnea that a lot of people have, which is a cause of poor sleep when we put on weight, all that exacerbates this metabolic insulin insulin problem. So um, being part of a support group or having some TV personality scream in your face that you're the biggest loser or shame or motivation, it's helpless against that yes. chemical onslaught. 
Absolutely. All right. So and, what and what is it? How do you not, it's, go ahead? It's not discipline. Well, it's it's a right it's the right diet and exercise. Maybe I'll run through the other two causes. Let's do that. Of, yeah. Of, of of hunger. Now, one is um, is hormonal, and that's that um, we regularly increase the hormone called, called ghrelin. There are some others that go up during mealtime, during lunchtime. And I think um, you know, all of your uh, viewers and listeners can relate to um, it's lunchtime, you're getting hungry, you're working on a project, you're distracted, and a few hours go by and you say, hey, I missed lunch and I'm not hungry. And that's because the ghrelin goes up and it comes down uh, normally. And so, and so that's... And when once the ghrelin comes down, you lose the hunger. So that's why you feel some hunger during lunch. And for that matter, um, for people who do intermittent fasting, skip lunch, you may be hungry for a day or two at lunchtime, but that goes away completely. I can attest and, to that. I do intermittent and, fasting and I got yes. used to it. Now it would feel weird for me to eat before one or two in the afternoon. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And that and that's one thing where discipline helps. Yeah, you're hungry. You don't have to eat at lunchtime, and that will go away. So you can ride and, those out. A ghrelin yes. hunger, type two hunger, right? Yes. You feel hungry, and you're you're like afraid. If I'm this hungry, 15 minutes late for lunch, what's it going to be like in two hours? And the answer is probably gone because it's like a exactly. wave. Yeah, okay. yeah, right. and that so many people can relate to because it's you know it happens to everybody at some point. And the third type is interesting, and I didn't understand it. Um, it was a few summers ago. Uh, it's, uh, I'll tell you this story. We're having, uh, having dinner. My wife cooked a good, healthy dinner, salmon and, and good non-starchy veggies. And for dessert, we got a blueberry pie. Remember my blueberry muffin. This is blueberry pie from this great farm stand. And... So I was um, kind of inhaling the pie, as I often do when I hit sugar. And, and one of my sons said, Dad, and you know, my wife said, Arthur. And I said, OK, OK. I stopped inhaling the pie. When everybody cleared out of the kitchen dining area uh, later, I snuck back um, into the kitchen, opened the refrigerator, and finished the entire pie. Now, that, uh, if it was the same time I was reading a book by Robert Lustig, uh, it was, it, it was um, uh, it, it's, about, uh, it, it's about the sugar, um, the cravings that we, that we all get, and really the sugar addiction. It was called The Hacking of the American Mind. Yeah, great book. And, and so with that, whether you're addicted to sugar, alcohol, um, video games, uh, shopping, whatever. It all goes through the same area of our brain, the nucleus accumbens, and produces a dopamine high. Mm. And different people, it produces different things for different people. One of the interesting studies was done in, in rats, and they, could, uh, they were uh, given addiction to cocaine and to sugar. And they could hit the sugar bar or the cocaine bar. And they hit the sugar bar more than the, the cocaine bar. So the sugar wow. addiction was stronger for them than cocaine. So I realized at that time, because I thought that was a discipline issue, particularly after dinner and having sweets. And it, it, that's, that is a true addiction. It is. Yeah, now, I, 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 I'm, I'm in recovery, too. Okay, I, I'm well, a carb I'm sugar addict myself. Yep. I, uh, hi, I'm Cherry. I'm a carb addict. I'm a sugar addict. So, yes. Yeah, so that's when the, when the family says, you know, come on down. I said, Hey, you know, you know, if it was alcohol, you wouldn't make fun of me. <laughs> so, um, and then, and, and the thing about that is, is discipline. This I'm still learning about because um, I'm hungry after dinner and I want something sweet. And if I put it off a certain amount of time, that hunger will wane as well. Not nearly, it's tougher than the type two, than the ghrelin, um, but it's something that's common and people who have it will know who they are. And it's 
when, and, and especially for people, again, with intermittent fasting, not eating, don't get that stimulus, no problem. It's once you get that stimulus. And when I first realized I was the addiction, I didn't touch a, a sweet for like six to 10 months. Yeah. I went through Thanksgiving without, uh, <laughs> without overeating the pies. Um, and when I did, I, it took a while. I wasn't addicted again, uh, it took a little time. Um, but it's, uh, but eventually you have sweets. And this is, by the way, the argument, I, I don't want to talk a lot about um, the artificial sweeteners, but my concern with them, there's a lot of mixed literature, is that it keeps this addiction part of your brain growing. Yes. Going. So those are the... Uh, well, and maybe the insulin response. I mean, there's a lot of evidence showing that some, with some of the artificial sweeteners, you still get the insulin spike. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That, that's true. And there, um, yeah, and, 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 and that's part of it. And, you know, now we have the continuous glucose monitors. And yes, some of the sweeteners are some things advertised as even keto friendly, not having sugar. People say, hey, that jumped up. Uh, we, we, I was in a meeting, a low carb meeting, and dinner was, and lunch was, uh, was really just dinner, um, was supposedly keto, keto friendly. And they had a supposed keto friendly chocolate cake. And it was really, really good. We were saying, my God, you know, this is really keto friendly. Well, a lot of people who was low carb had their continuous glucose monitors. And so, and they said, hey, my sugar really, we realized um, that that chocolate cake was not keto friendly. Mm. Um, they thought it was the same recipe from a year ago whatever, but it was found out with the, with the continuous glucose monitor. Do you happen to know what the sweetener was offhand? Did you, did you find out? I think, I, I, I don't know. It might've been a sweetener or they might've actually put in some sugar. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, but the head of that meeting was, um, he was looking into it because <laughs> enough people had glucose monitors that it wasn't, uh, it wasn't just one So, so this addictive version, it might be that in this case, um, you might have to have a recovery program type approach. I haven't had added, su- added sugar for 15, 20 years. Um, yeah. so I mean, to me, it's unthinkable, like it would be unthinkable for an alcoholic to drink alcohol. And people think, well, that's extreme. It's like, well, I, I was an addict. I mean, don't tell me what my experience is. You know, I mean, I felt like an addict. I acted like an addict. Um, and that seems to take a long time to re- recover from. Um, you, you, you do, um, in, in fact, cause I, re- I recovered also, um, I mean, years ago, I, I stopped with sweeteners with like diet Coke and I really lost my taste for that. And during the months when I realized the addiction, um, I no, I wasn't hungry and I wasn't much drawn to it. It was, it was more, you know, people, when you're va- vacation, when it's holiday season, um, and it's kind of there and you think it's no big deal. And it's, yeah, I think it is just like alcohol. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so everybody has to decide that balance and it's a little different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have and it, to it, it restructures the brain, which may be one of the reasons that it takes a long time to recover from, or maybe you never recover from, I mean, alcohol, someone will be in recovery from alcohol for 50 years. Yes. They never go back to the alcohol, right? And I know people, they're in recovery. They're in recovery for five or 10 years. They yes. have a beer and they're back, they're back in it. You know, yeah. they're like, you know, they're alcoholic. They're drinking again and they have to start over with a brand new medallion or whatever. So, um, so, all right. So kind of let's go through these. The first one, that's the hypoglycemic. The solution there, you said, is the hyperglycemia. It's right, right diet and exercise. And it's not eating the foods that will increase your insulin level. So okay, so like a sugary or starchy food, your insulin level shoots up, yes, forces the sugar out of your system because that's what insulin does. Insulin says sugar, yes. turn sugar into fat, tells the liver, I guess, to turn sugar into fat. So then your blood sugar goes down, and then that's that wave of hypo, hypoglycemic hunger. Well, that's, that's one thing. We used to think that's what was called reactive hypoglycemia. 
but you know, we give, we, we test insulin levels after a sugar drink, the same thing you get for the women get for glucose tolerance tests. And there's, I they're see. not usually hypoglycemic right after. This was a misunderstanding of what reactive hypoglycemic was. And in fact, when people haven't eaten for a while, um, you forget, and we see this particularly if you exercise in the morning and you're intermittent fasting and don't keep up with salt and with fluids, you get dehydrated. That's called the keto flu. It mm -hmm. used to be called the Atkins flu. And so people, when they start a low carbohydrate diet, their insulin levels come down. The insulin causes salt retention and depresses nitric oxide, which you kind of hear about on TV. That relaxes the blood vessels. If you're not making it, the blood vessels um, are, are stiffer and your blood pressure goes up. So when you go on a low carbohydrate diet and your insulin falls, you're not retaining as much sodium um, you're, you're, you're making plenty of nitric oxide and you drop your blood pressure. Now, one so you, you're things, dropping water basically, right? Yes. Right. Okay. You're dropping yes. water. And in addition to dropping water, you're dilating your, your, your blood vessels. Yes. So those two, that's like a double whammy on blood pressure that gives you low blood yes. pressure. Oh, all right. And so people are weak and miserable. And we, at the beginning, we used to think, well, you're hypoglycemic, you need food. No. And when, you know, if I exercise in the morning and I'm seeing patients or, or doing Zoom meetings with patients later in the afternoon, and I may feel like, you know, I'm getting a little woozy. I know what exact, exactly what it is. It can present with headaches, um, with migraines. Uh, a few people I've seen with double vision. Sometimes it's ocular migraine. And that is dehydration. Now, if somebody eats that, they'll generally get they'll get some fluid and they'll get some salt as part of it. So they feel better. Um, but it is not hypoglycemia. And when you haven't eaten for a long time, you know, your insulin is down, your blood sugar is not falling that much. Your insulin's down, you can you can access your own fat stores. Hmm. So that's not hypoglycemia. Okay, so if you're hyperinsulinemic, then th you 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 gently corrected me on reactive hypoglycemia because I said something that kind of an old story that since then you've taught me is not right. It's not the reaction right away the insulin drives down your blood sugar that creates that hypoglycemia. It's more right. like just if you don't have a healthy metabolism, you're just using up that sugar until there's no more sugar. Uh you yes. can't access fat stores. Because yes. the insulin is there all the time saying, do not burn fat. And then that's the shaky hypoglycemic hunger. It's not the yes. quick reaction. It's not like the, you know, 20 minute, 30 minute reaction. It's a longer period. Thing. Right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And really some people get that, but that's unusual. And again, we do these tests where we're giving the sugar every day. And it's very rare that you, you get that your short-term reactive hypoglycemia. So most of what people are experiencing, and it's well-documented, um, there's a Dr. Sajid Panda, who uh, he gives people um, what uh, they do, a foodogram. They have an app where every time they eat or snack, it's recorded. Mm. And most healthy Americans are snacking almost around the clock, a lot more than we were in the 1960s or 70s. Um, and so the snacking and, and for kids, you know, they're getting snacks at school when they come home. Um, it didn't used to be that way. And it's not, it's not good for them. And if you take any overweight teenager, they already have high insulin levels. This starts, this starts early. Mm -hmm. And we can measure it and we can see how sometimes in, in healthy appearing young students, there was a study done in Yale undergrads um, by uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Peterson and Schulman that they, uh, where there was a family history of diabetes, these were lean undergraduates when they measured their insulin levels after sugar, uh, uh, after taking a, a sugar meal, um, that the insulin, even though the, the blood sugar didn't go up, but it was taking a lot of insulin 
to keep that blood sugar down. And that's insulin resistance. That's insulin resistance. Right. And that occurs early. And insulin resistance- So you, you seem healthy. You, you, you look healthy. There's the illusion of health. You're in your 20s and you're creating the preconditions of a heart attack maybe in your 50s. That's, Absolutely. That's how, yeah. Absolutely. People may think it's weird we're talking so much about diabetes because I, I think that I, I, I grew up in an environment where there's this area, nephrologist, endocrinologist, diabetes doctors over here. And then there's the heart people over here, completely different thing. And the, the, the modern revolution, I mean, the good kind of revolution, the one where we learn, yeah. um, uh, the modern revolution is that these systems are completely interrelated with one another, that these are yes. not separate topics at all. And it was not understood. Diabetes was known in antiquity. And that was what we now call type 1 diabetes. But that happened in juveniles. It was then called, it was called you know, juvenile diabetes um, as well. And those were kids, young adults, where there was an insult to their pancreas. So they couldn't, they couldn't make insulin at all. And if they couldn't make insulin, they couldn't store energy. So while they were eating and drinking, they were essentially starving to death because they could bring in the, the sugar, but it just went out in their urine. I think that's and, what diabetes literally means. I think it's sweet pea in the Greek. Yes. Yeah, right. It, yeah. I think so. I think yes. you're right on yeah. that one. And, and so, and they realized, they, they realized there was sugar in, in the urine, but that was described a thousand years ago because it was very dramatic. Because here you have young, healthy kids, young adults, literally wasting away and dying. And it was 1923 when people would, uh, would bring their, their juvenile, it was just called diabetes then, into wards. And they would, the only treatment, was, by the way, was a very low carbohydrate diet, hmm. which would help because it would decrease the need for insulin. But eventually they would go into coma and die. So Dr. Banting up in Toronto, he extracted insulin from a beef pancreas, injected it into these kids, and they woke up from their coma. And this was, this was a miracle. Um, it was the cure of diabetes. Well, once they could give insulin to bring these super high blood sugars down, because now they were giving the exogenous insulin that they couldn't make, well, if the, if the blood sugar went down too much, you become hypoglycemic, you go back into coma. So it became very important to measure blood sugars quickly, efficiently, um, and inexpensively because kids with diabetes had to, had to really check it every day. So in fact, they developed very good ways to measure blood sugar. And at the beginning, I think they generally had to go and get the injections at the doctor's office and check that the blood sugar didn't drop too low. Well, now physicians had this new tool. Um, they could measure blood sugar in everybody. So they did. And they measured it in adults. And they noticed in a lot of adults, they had diabetes too. Hmm. But they weren't wasting away. They never went into coma. And they were overweight, not super thin. So they realized it was a different disease. They called it adult onset versus juvenile onset. And now we call the juvenile type one and the adult onset type two. But it was all classified on the basis of blood sugar. And the assumption was they weren't making enough insulin. Mm. So they gave them insulin. I see. Well, the insulin and they, put, and they packed on weight and it got much yes. worse. Right? Yes, right. Absolutely. Yeah. So we have seen type two diabetics who were given mistakenly insulin to keep their blood sugars normal. And you take them off the insulin. They, I've seen them lose from 50 to literally 100 pounds. Because mm. when you take away that exogenous insulin they didn't need, and the early treatments, the oral uh, blood sugar lowering treatments, um, also stimulated your pancreas to make all more insulin all this was counterproductive because the problem was insulin resistance. The insulin wasn't working. So, gotta, yeah. so if you've got too much um, sugar in your blood, which your body's going to get rid of through your pee, right? It's going it, it, because it knows that's dangerous. If you've got too much sugar in your blood and in your pee, 
There could be two reasons. One is you can't make insulin. Or two is you've made so much insulin for such a long period of time that it just doesn't work anymore. Um, yes. So it's kind of like you don't have insulin and that's insulin resistance. Your body just resistance. won't respond to it. They amount, but they're in some ways they have a, a, the same uh, like effect yeah. in blood chemistry, but they're almost, they're opposite diseases. Yes. Too little insulin, too much. And if you exactly. treat the second one, like the first one, then in, in essence, you become a diabetic. They give you insulin and it's like, okay, see you in five years where I'm going to have to take a foot. Yes. Um, I mean, it's yeah. like, you know, you're going to be, you're going to die slowly with this. I, I had a friend who his doctor said, you're, you're diabetic. Um, so I'm giving you these medications. This is a forever medication. This is a forever medicine. And he happened to reach out to me privately because I had written about your work because mm -hmm. this is not the first interview we've done. And he said, my doctor says this. I, I don't want to do this. Is there an alternative? And I said, yes, get rid of the carbohydrates, go on a ketogenic diet, do intermittent fasting. Um, and. He had different people in different years. Oh, no, do what the doctor says. Like, ah, the doctor is 50 years out of date. Back and forth. He ended up going keto, um, intermittent um, fasting. And I think he's doing HIIT as well. So mm -hmm. the formula that yes. um, wrote to me that. about two months after that, he says, my diabetes is gone. You know, thank God I didn't go that route. But there are still doctors who are who are dealing with this scientific misunderstanding. And it's just it's. It's, it's really tragic. Okay. So we're still, that's the first kind of hunger, right? We're still kind of in that category. So you get rid of the carbohydrates, no sugars or starches. Um, you, you get plenty of protein and fat in your diet. We can talk about what's, what is the healthy fat, right? Um, mm -hmm. exercise that also drives down insulin. And then you don't get that hypoglycemic, um, after your met metabolism changes. Your body can actually go to the refrigerator that's there in your belly rather than driving you to the refrigerator that's in your kitchen when you need food. Very well said. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. No, that's, so that's how you fight right. one. Okay. So two, ghrelin and other hormones. Yes. How do you deal with that kind of hunger? What's the strategy? Now the ghrelin, once you know what's happening, that's self-discipline that does not take a lot of self-discipline. The curve is up, you just wait till it drops down. And again, people understand that because so many people have had the experience of missing lunch because they're distracted. It's the same thing for dinner and breakfast. And, and after a few days, that just levels off. It's not an issue. And you get, you get used to it pretty quickly. And yes. by the way, there's strategies like a non-caloric um, you know, a, a cup of green tea, no sugar, no cream, right? Yeah. A cup of green tea does wonders to help you ride out the ghrelin. For some reason, yes. it seems like warm waters, even if they're not flavored, but, um, they seem yep. to help with that, right? And yes, and uh, green tea is one, is one that's, that's, that's great. And that is and, willpower, right? And that's willpower. And it's once you understand it and experience, it's not that much willpower. And again, you won't have to do it every day if you're, say, you know, doing intermittent fasting and having lunch later, not having lunch at the usual time, that will go away. Got As it. you've experienced, we've so many of our patients, that just doesn't become an issue. So I'm, ironically, in diet world, there's no such thing as a free lunch. You do have to pay a willpower price to do this. Yes. Right. It just, yes. you don't have to pay the impossible willpower price of, you know, of overcoming um, hypoglycemia, right? Uh, you have to, you have, you, have, you pay a price, but it's, it's a price you get used to pretty quickly, right? Yeah. And yeah, all right. Yes. Um, so, by the way, little side note: I've read that ghrelin is an autophagy signaler as well. Mm -hmm. So that helps me psychologically. That yeah, I know yes. not only is that saying Jerry, you should eat, and I'm saying no, I shouldn't, but that when that's happening, it's actually signaling damaged cells to break yes. that to be broken down. Scrap for parts and rebuilt as brand new, essentially juvenile. It's a de-aging yes. thing. Oh, and that's ahead. one of the reasons why with, with intermittent fasting or even a longer fast, um, you, you don't break down your muscle, which is always a concern. And that does happen with a long fast. Uh, but, you know, when with a short fast, the thing is you, you can turn protein into glucose. That's part of what the liver does, the gluconeogenesis. But first, you get rid of your waste product proteins. That's what autophagy is. So that's actually good. And that's why some people 
I think possibly including you, have a longer fast every few months to really optimize getting rid of, of old cells. Um, About once a quarter, four days, five days. Um, that, that's um, even uh, two or three days will do it. Yes, yes. Well, four you know or five me. days, I would just say, just do it with your doctor, depending if you're on blood pressure medication, your insulin will fall. And we, and even though we tell people, um, you, you, and, and when you also deplete um, your, your organs of glycogen, which you're, you're breaking down, that's the storage form of starch. It's stored with a lot more water mm. than, is, than fat is. So when you lose that, which you lose early in a low carb diet, um, that's that's another reason you're just losing water and then the dehydrate, dehydration. Yes. Right. It's a myth that we all have to avoid salt. Um, it's just not true. If you have salt sensitive high blood pressure, if you have older with kidney and, and liver problems uh, where you can't excrete salt, but for a lot of us, especially living in South Florida over the summer, when you're exercising, um, you can be very liberal with salt. And if you have normal kidneys, you just excrete the ex excess salt. You know, we just have to stop and remind ourselves, it is a mineral, right? I mean, yes. we treat the stuff like it's plutonium or something or, you know, or strychnine or something. I mean, somehow it's gotten categorized as some kind of like highly toxic, you know, like less salt, better, right? You know, like just salt. You know, the the smallest amount of salt is the best. It's a mineral like magnesium, like potassium. Yes, you yes. can get too much of it, of minerals, right? And too much potassium can be dangerous. Um, but it is a mineral. We need it. <laughs> you know, uh, there's a certain paranoia that's come in. I think some people say the salt well, gets, gets blamed for what the sugar does in many cases. Yeah, and, and by the way, there you don't get salt addiction like sugar addiction. So it's not like oh, if I'm putting more salt now, the bad thing with salt, when you go down below a couple of teaspoons of salt a day before four grams, mortality goes up hmm. fast. And we, we know why. I, that's a, sort of a long explanation. But when it goes up over six grams, mortality goes up slowly. But it's not the salt. It's when you have that much salt, it's usually from fast food, from eating the wrong. Oh, uh, I see. So it's a marker for the, it's you know, for McDonald's yes. or all the rest of it. Because exactly. they put a lot of sodium in food that is otherwise bad for you. And maybe the sodium is yes. getting more than its fair share of the blame, right? Yes. 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 All right. So um, the, that, the that's the second hunger. You ride it out. And maybe something would include a little salt. I can tell you when I have that, a little bit of Himalayan sea salt, just like yeah. you know, like that, it helps me ride out my Graylin wave. Um, Absolutely, so, yeah. yes. Um, okay, so the third one is is what Lustig has talked about. This is the addiction thing. Your and brain I'm structure sorry, actually changes. Part of your Graylin crave might be a little, if it's helped with salt, it may be a little dehydration also. Dehydration can be very common. When you when you haven't eaten, when you exercise, um, and and keeping salt, I I should know, and I still run behind on my salt frequently, and fluids. So mm -hmm. I'll uh, <laughs> good idea. So while you do that, I'll bring us back to the third one. That's the addictive hunger. So we've we've got the um, we've got the hypoglycemic um, hunger. Uh, can't overcome with willpower. You make dietary changes, which amounts to something like a ketogenic diet of some form. Anything that basically fights insulin resistance. Um, second, ghrelin, you, it is willpower. You ride it out, maybe a cup of tea or some salt. Um, and not Gatorade that has added sugar. But I've made my own little, Susan and I have made, uh, like a, like a drink. Um, mm -hmm. water, some magnesium, a little bit of potassium, a yep. little bit That's of the right. salt. We go, you know, we go biking, you know, up, up hills. We're really sweating. Gluck, 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 gluck. Right. Okay. Um, so Perfect. the third, the third one is, um, the addictive one. That's the one we're still kind of processing this one. I'm not sure that, you, that we have like we a do. thorough <laughs> answer, uh, yeah. for exactly how you beat this one. But what thoughts do you have on how to beat the third well, kind of hunger? You know, knowing that it is an addiction and not, it, it really is not your willpower, uh, that you are, it is an addiction like other addictions. And abstinence works. When people go off the sugar, you absolutely lose your taste and lose those cravings. Um, 
it's just where you're exposed. And again, we see, you know, South Florida people go on cruises and, you know, I know when people are going to come back overweight with, you know, vacations, holidays. Um, and so uh, it, there is some self-discipline, but it is different with everybody. So in fact, if I avoid something sweet right after dinner, um, I can wait it out, but I don't always. Um, be perfectly honest. Um, and so um, understanding it. So I don't, I, I know abstinence works, um, but that's, that's tough. And how long is the abstinence? And what about if you skip dessert or just have some berries, uh, which is less of a pulse of, of sugar and fructose, uh, will, that, will that do it? So this, I, this is in the realm of neurotransmitters now. We're not talking about insulin signaling or gray, right. ghrelin signaling. We're talking yes. about dopamine signaling, which is yes. happening up here, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, and brain structure changes. So yes. part of it probably is how long have I been sugar addicted? Because the longer you're sugar addicted, the more yes. structural change there is to the brain. So you yes. might might be harder if it's longer, just like any other addiction. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Hmm. And... um. What, what and I I've, might say, and I'm so while you're talking about you know the time, when we we can tell when people have the insulin, um, both re resistance, but in particular beta cell dysfunction, insulin resistance can be reversed quickly. When people have gastric bypass, it's literally in, in days uh, the insulin comes way down. Um, it takes longer. We used to think that the insulin-producing beta cells. Uh, were burnt out. And so in, even in type 2 diabetes, you would need insulin eventually. Um, studies, particularly in Sinai, New York, um, have found really it's more the beta cells have been put to sleep. They're not actually dead. And we see the longer you've been diabetic or you've been stressing the beta cells, the longer it takes to come back. And it can be up to years. We can follow the improvement um, if it's just been, um, if it's not been pure diabetes, less than diabetes, we can see it come back much faster. So um, the, the, so the, the pancreas is on strike. Yes. It's like, you've <laughs> overworked me for 20 years. Yes. It's not in my job description. I'm done. <laughs> they, 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 they enter early retirement, but uh, maybe they can be coaxed back. That's, uh, <laughs> that's very good. <laughs> uh, by the way, there's a whole side thing here. Oh, there's so much we could get into where some of the research that you're showing now, we've talked so much about the fatty liver, and now, but now how much the fatty pancreas is an issue and how much pancreatic dysfunction is an issue. So I, I'm go let's, re let's resist the temptation. Um, on that one. So let's say, just say on the third I, I type of- say, I will interrupt and say one thing about, you know, technology and so much of where we are today has to do with technology, things that happened during the industrial Re revolution. You mentioned the electric light that lit up the night. That's been in many ways a, 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 a disaster. Um, but little technology, uh, our liver is up in front on our right side. It's easy to see with imaging, whether it's MRI, CT, um, or ultrasound. The pancreas is way in the back of our abdomen. It's tougher to image. And so we've been recognizing fatty liver by seeing it in then chemical ways for a long time. MRI has been good enough to quantify it very precisely. Um, the pancreas has been much tougher. But the newest MRIs and newest technologies, I think in a few years, we'll be able to see the pancreas as well as the liver. Hmm. And I think that pancreatic fat is going to be a, a really revolutionary in seeing how early it happens and how it tells us exactly where we are. Hmm. Interesting. And maybe getting rid of the fatty pancreas, just like the, yes, the fatty exactly. liver, uh, because uh, we've talked about this. We have got teenagers and people in their 20s, but teenagers who are walking around with the livers that previously had you would only see in 50-year-old alcoholics. Yes. And now commonly, non-alcoholic fatty a, livers. Yes, the, yeah. 
fatty liver is in, in from sugar, non what's called non-alcoholic fatty liver, um, is the number one cause eventually of, of cirrhosis and liver failure. It used to be always alcohol. Now, if you talk to any gastroenterologist, uh, fatty liver that's diet related is much more common than alcoholic fatty liver. So the third type, we'll, we'll end on the three hungers now. The third type of hunger is the addictive one. There's an element of willpower here probably, right? As yes. there is with addiction. Alcoholics yes. don't say will doesn't matter. What they say is that you kind of surrender in the sense that I can't control it by willpower, but you can surround yourself with people who help hold you accountable. You can avoid the occasion of it. You can know it's an addiction. Therefore, you're not going to have just one beer because you know that, you know, that won't work for you. Um, and then maybe over time, exercising that willpower and also getting rid of the first, dealing with the first two kinds of hunger and getting a healthy metabolism, then you recover over time. But you, but don't expect overnight or even in a year or two to not go uh, at, at night. Oh, gee, I really wish I could have some blueberry pie, but yeah, I guess I can't, right? Yeah, ab absolutely. And by the way, we, we talked today about addiction is, is so many silos. There's the cholesterol, lipids and diabetes. There's the imaging, there's, there's nutrition, exercise and others. And just talking to you, I am not an expert in addiction, um, but, and I really, uh, you just made me think I should really talk to an addiction expert about dealing with our patients with that addiction. And maybe they, there should be a consultation as well. I've got the guy for you. I've learned so okay, so great. much about addiction. I I don't I don't personally have like an alcohol or drug addiction. Clearly, I have a carb addiction. Yes. But I I in and around friends, most of my friends are longtime addicts of one form or another: gambling, drugs, alcohol. So I've been in and around the big book, and I've got the right person to connect. And our church is dealing with like what they call heroin highway. We've got you know mm. the, the the our church is on a road where there are more overdoses from opioids than any place in the county, wow, wow. you know, maybe we want to even compare to the state. So I, I know who to connect you with uh, on that because there's a dynamic here and it's, it's, it's solvable. Okay. That's the three kinds of hunger. That's fascinating. I'd, I'd like to go, um, you call it a day on that. And then next time, can we talk about career building? Uh, you've mentioned to me that you're noticing the pattern that there's a career building period um, and that that's really when you're laying the foundation for heart disease and, you know, or you know, premature death. Can we talk yes. about that next time? Love to. All right. I'm Jerry Boy. You've been talking with Dr. Arthur Agustin from the Agustin Center um, in Miami, uh, author of numerous books, any of the South Beach books, including his uh, keto-friendly South Beach diet, which is his newest book. And this is Meeting of Minds podcast with Jerry Boyer. Join us next time. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and give it a rating on Apple Podcasts and improve our national conversation by sharing it with some friends.